millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Just before you listen to today's episode, this is a quick message to remind you that if you like what you hear, you can help support History Hack, which is run entirely by volunteers using our Patreon account. There are links on all of our episodes. Or if a subscription is not your thing, you can also now drop us a line on Ko-fi, which is just the equivalent of buying us a drink. So if you hear an episode, you like it and you want to chip in just once, then you can do that too. Thank you. Hello and welcome to History Hack. It's Monday morning and because we don't like doing anything easy at all, what have we done to ourselves this Monday morning, Zach? Oh, we've only gone and scheduled another shitload of recordings, Beginning all on periods Monday. that we don't really know yeah. about or understand. <laughs> Beginning with one where we literally, I mean, there's not even, apart from that totally awful King Arthur film, I can't even think of a film we could have watched for this one. No, and that King Arthur film is, let's not even go there because it's that bad that we'll yeah. just end up riffing and ranting on that for the next We'll probably hour. find out that that's 200 years out as well in this. That's how bad we are in this period. What are we talking about? So we are talking about Constantius III. And that's about all I know about Constantius III, that he's called Constantius III. <laughs> but fortunately, we are going to be saved from our ignorance by Ian Hughes, who specialises in late Rome history. Don't shake your head. I've bigged yeah. you up. You've got to save us now. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, if you knew the saga of the school buses this morning, he's been up since like four o'clock and is in no shape for this. But we're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. Because he has done how many books, Zach? Lots. Uh, I think it was 10, he said. Um, and I'm, was it five I'm on my 10th, yeah. And five of them are on this kind of period. Yes. So... You know, this is something that, as we say, we haven't done anything on. Very sorry, listeners. Um, but Ian oh. is is a man to go to on this. His books include biographies of Belisarius. Yeah. Probably ruined that pronunciation. Belisarius apparently was the last Roman general. And Stilicho. 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 There you Stilicho. go. There we go. Um, this is why I was no linguist. My Latin is appalling. Learning already, Zach. Um, You're learning already. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, who apparently was the vandal who saved Rome. But we are talking today about Constantius III and why Ian refers to him as Rome's lost hope, which I've had to say three times in order to get it right. <laughs> but never mind. Let's move very swiftly on. Ian, good to see you. How are you doing, my friend? Very tired. But don't blame me if my brain doesn't work. I, I love right. Basically, it's 11 o'clock in the morning, but in Ian's head, it's more like five in the evening. He's ready to shut yeah. down and pour a drink at this point. Um, let's start with an easy one then and get you into the groove. Right. 
it, this is interesting because Zach and I are obviously we've seen Gladiator. We know all about the might of Rome and that, but I mean, already from what you're telling us, this has ebbed away, hasn't it? So from what yeah. I understand at this point, it's so weak, it's divided in two. And the eastern yeah. side is run from Constantinople and the, the western side is run from Rome and all of the, the vandals. And I think we'll get to Visigoths, won't we? And we'll get to other um, barbarians, so yeah. non-Romans. Um <clears throat> Uh, a threat to the Roman Empire. So they're having to appease them by putting these generals in. So this is very far removed from sort of the mighty Roman Empire that we're probably used to hearing about, isn't it? Yeah. Stilicho was half Vandal, half Roman. His mother was a Roman, his father was a Vandal. There was a coup in the Western Empire by a barbarian general, unsurprisingly. Theodosius, the Eastern Empire, led a campaign against this usurper, defeated him, and imposed his own son, Honorius, who was 10 years old as the Western Empire. The idea was that Theodosius would rule both halves of the empire, but have his young son, Honorius, in the west, and his slightly older son, Arcadius, in the east. Because Honorius was so young, he put Stilicho, who was married to his foster daughter, in control of the Western Empire, in effect, by making him Magister Militum, which is Master of the Soldiers. The idea then was that Theodosius would be free to do wherever he wanted. Unfortunately, a few months after the victory, Theodosius died. And it left a young boy called Arcadius on the Eastern Throne, a young boy called Honorius on the Western Throne, and Stilicho, this general, he was in charge of the Western Empire. But Theodosius had died in the West, and Stilicho said that Theodosius, on his deathbed, had said that he was in control of both halves. Of course he did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it, it's, it's just an almighty mess from this point on. You get the sources saying several different things. It all depends upon which individual they support. It depends on who's winning. But fortunately for Stilicho, he had a gentleman named, well, Claudian is the modern variation of his name. And he wrote a lot of panegyrics about Stilicho. So you've got all these in praise versions of Stilicho, but you very rarely get anything against him. Stilicho ruled for use of a better word, in the Western Empire from 395 until 408. It was him that saved the Western Empire from any collapse at that point. He fought campaigns on the Rhine. But one of his first mistakes was that when Theodosius had invaded, he had used a large number of Goths in his army. These Goths had been invited into the empire after pleading for help under pressure from the Huns who had just arrived on the scene. They'd been allowed in, they'd been treated badly, they had revolted, they had won the Battle of Adrianople, which is usually seen as one of the defining moments in the Roman Empire's collapse, because it meant that from then on, there was a group of Goths that were autonomous within the empire, free to do what they wanted in theory, 
but in practice subservient to the Roman Empire. Am I the only one who every time a Roman historian mentions the Goths, I picture a load of teenagers clad in black with like black nail varnish and black lipstick running around destroying ancient Rome? Is Am I the only person who's head childishly goes there? Or with their headphones in listening to stuff like uh, Sisters of Mercy, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> So tell us, so can you just like, we're going off the list of questions already. <laughs> this is what we do on History Hack. So <clears throat> who are the Vandals and who are the Goths? The, the Goths, as I understand it, uh, from what's now Germany. Oh, dear. Have I opened right. a whole can of worms here that's going to... The problem that we face within this period is that all of these tribes are called German. Okay. And part of the reason for that is that a lot of the research into them was done in the late 19th and early to mid 20th century when the German nation was just formed and was trying to find an identity for itself that it could trace back into the past. All of these tribes probably spoke a variation of a Germanic language, but then again, so was English. So... You can't say that we are German, although we speak a variation of a Germanic language. They were all independent tribes from roughly the same region. The Goths had, according to tradition, spread out from the Baltic area and divided into two main groups. The they're usually called Visigoths and Ostrogoths, West Goths and East Goths. But that's too simplistic. By a long way, it's too simplistic. The Visigoths, we are talking about a group of peoples that, for this earlier period, are called Tervingi or Tuingi. And the Ostrogoths, the Groithungi, the Ostrogoths settled to the north of the, is it the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea? Mm -hmm. The Tavingi or Visigoths settled along the Danube frontier with Rome, the Eastern Roman Empire. When the Huns invaded, they destroyed the Ostrogothic or Groithungi political unity that was allegedly there pressed against the Tervingi, the Visigoths, the Tervingi split into two. One group wanted to enter the Roman Empire and, and receive permission. Another group stayed where they were and accepted that they were being ruled by the Huns at the moment. Hmm. The Tervingi that invaded later became known as Visigoths because they settled in the West. The Groithungi, very, very long, complicated story. They eventually entered Italy and ruled Italy. But that's much later than this. We're talking about the late 400s there. And okay. I'm, I'm talking about 395 or thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. The, we'll call them Visigoths. It's easier, isn't it? The Visigoths were allowed to enter, won the Battle of Adrianople, were settled in the Balkans on condition that they supplied troops. They supplied troops for the civil war 
And at the Battle of the Frigidus, according to some people on purpose, Theodosius sent them in the front at the vanguard to charge. They got decimated. They lost at least half of their strength. Other people like myself say it was just the nature of the terrain, they had no option. Stilicho's big mistake was that as soon as um, Theodosius had died, he dismissed the Visigoths. Right, you're off. Go on. You're not needed here. Which they saw as an insult. They'd lost huge amounts of men and their leaders wanted some, some form of repayment for it and he didn't give them any. And... Unfortunately for him, the biggest name that took part in this was a guy called Alaric. Alaric, on the way back to the east, in effect, rebelled. But it's too easy to see him as a barbarian commander trying to get something in the empire. He wasn't at this point. He was, yes, he was a barbarian, according to the traditional sense, but he wasn't trying to set up his own commands, his own country. He wanted a post within the Roman hierarchy. If he could be accepted like some of the other Germanic leaders have been and get a Roman command, settle his people within that Roman command, he'd be happy. He wasn't trying to overthrow the empire or anything like that. And that's one of the major mistakes that is still made by some people when looking at this period. Okay, what we do know is that Stilicho dies. He dies. He dies. dies. That's when we know Constantius comes into the picture. That's when he becomes prominent and not some anonymous person we know nothing about. No. Sorry. No. (laughs) It is then. Do we know anything about this guy? (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) Between 408 and 411, there's a swift turnover of military leaders or political leaders, depending upon which individual you're talking about. And in the midst of all this, causing havoc is Alaric. There's been a Gothic attempt at a military takeover in Constantinople in 400, which has been put down. But this means that Alaric is free. He can do what he likes. So he invades Italy in 402. And he's effectively defeated by Stilicho. He's asked by Stilicho to take part in the invasion of Illyricum. That doesn't go ahead, but Alaric demands money, payment for agreeing to take part. And then Stilicho, after that, is executed. Alaric says to the Western government that takes over, give me, give me a role, give me a generalship, give me some land to settle on, any small piece, and I'll take it. And Honorius, or his advisors, says no. I was going to say, is he still not like 12 years old at this point? Well, it, it was 10 in four, uh, 395. Okay, so he's a so bit... So he's now 23. He's in, he's in his early 20s. And okay. the problem you've got is he's known nothing of sole rule. He's always had Stilicho there telling him how to do things. Now that Stilicho's gone, he's... A, is relying on other people, and I'm not going to go into the details, don't worry. <laughs> but in 409, no, 408, sorry, Alaric invades Italy again. And he lays siege to Rome. 
But it's not a siege attempting to capture Rome. It's a siege attempting to put pressure on Honorius. The emperor at this time is living in Ravenna on the Adriatic coast. And it fails. So he leaves Rome and goes towards Ravenna to put pressure on. That fails. He goes back and lays siege to Rome a second time. At this time, he appoints a man in Rome named Attalus as a usurping emperor. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to, to get all this together into one go is a nightmare. <laughs> it's like, this is sort of foreign language to Zachary. Right? You could literally be saying anything right now. Yeah. I was just like, but at the same, Zach's, yeah. made, Zach's just thinking narrative, narrative. There is some guy called Constantius that is going to come. He's around he's at point. this point. <laughs> we know he's oh, around. We, know we know just don't know what he's doing. <laughs> At the same time as all this, there's a guy called Constantine III, who is nominated as a usurper in Britain, and he crosses over to Gaul, modern-day France, takes control of Gaul and Spain. You've got Constantius in there, you've got Honorius in Ravenna, and you've got this gentleman, Attalus, under the control of Alaric in Rome. Obviously, there's another palace coup at this point. Oh, no. <laughs> So we've got a Constantine the third, Constantine the third, and then you're going to get a Constantius the third. The biggest problem for me and for others at this point is that after Constantine the Great, who died in three three seven, Constantius, Constantine, Constans, a lot of the names are the same or repeated, and it it drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, so you've got these three emperors eventually. Stilicho loses patience and sacks Rome in 14. Is this the sack of Rome you were thinking of? I just, I know the phrase sack of Rome. Right. In 410, he sacks Rome. Right. This isn't a traditional type of sacking. This wasn't bursting in, climbing the walls, demolishing everything in your way. At this point, Arut was still a Roman commander, in effect, under Attalus. Although he just deposed Attalus for political reasons, it gets worse. So he went into Rome, took as much booty as he could carry and left and started travelling down south. Later in 14, he tries to cross over to Africa, fails and dies. And his position is taken by a man named Atheulf. Are you following all this? I'd be lying if I said yeah. <laughs> but Okay, right. Yeah. Finally. So far, it's all gone to shit in Rome. Oh, yes. <laughs> Massively. Yeah. Uh, and I guess we've got a 23-year-old in charge that doesn't really know what he's doing because his mate's gone. Uh, yeah. and, and someone, here's a hint for you, Zach, Someone is going to have to come in and sort this out, aren't they? Please tell me this is Constantius. Please tell me this is Constantius. <laughs> in 411, <laughs> we get the first mention of the gentleman known as Constantius, who would later become Constantius III. Are you happy now? <laughs> in 411, he takes control. And he, he does what most Roman leaders before have done. You don't worry about barbarian invaders. They can't rule the empire. They're not eligible to be emperor. You get rid of the usurpers. At this point, due to all the stuff that's gone on in the West, there are five emperors. 
there's Honorius. Atheof, the successor of Alaric, has raised Atalus again. You've got a guy called Maximus in Spain. You've oh, tell me Constantius. Oh. Yeah, you've got Constantine <laughs> the Third in Gaul and Constantine the Third's son Constance as a co-emperor. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Are you surprised the Roman Empire collapsed eventually? No, not at all. No. This is <laughs> it sounds the year like it's already of the five emperors, isn't it? This is, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is the, this is another year of the fact everybody forgets about this period being so difficult. They concentrate on the year of four emperors in 69 AD. But this one, no, this is all ignored. Maximus sends his general Gerontius to conquer Gaul from Constantine III. Kills Constance, Constantine's son, lays siege to Constantine in Arles. At this point, Constantius III isn't emperor, but he is the master of the soldiers. He takes the army of Italy over the Alps into Gaul, defeats Gerontius, Gerontius commits suicide, and Maximus flees, he runs away. So he's got rid of one. He kills uh, Constantine III. Constance is already dead. Attalus is once again deposed. So finally, we're back to only one emperor. Except for the fact that a man named Jovinus is also raised to be emperor in the north of Gaul. We just oh, ignore yeah. him. Let's ignore him for the purposes <laughs> of this podcast. We're going to pretend he doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> After defeating the usurpers, apart from Jovinus, in Gaul, Constant, Constantius returns to Italy, forces Atheof and the Goths out of Italy and into Gaul. Atheof allies with Jovinus, then betrays him to Honorius in return for food. What you need to remember at this point is that the Goths are in effect a people. They have got thousands of warriors but they've also got thousands of dependents and during the turmoil between 408 and 410 in Italy they've got thousands of runaway slaves in their number as well they are so short of food they want food from anywhere Honorius agrees to supply food if they get rid of Javinus they get rid of Javinus once again there's only one emperor we're down to one emperor Constantius can't give them the food they want because all the food that they want will be supplied from Africa. And a man named Heraclianus in Africa raises himself up as a usurper. Oh, you know what? That's it. I, from now on, I want to be known as Alex the Usurper. I feel left out. <laughs> it's, it's insane, isn't it? That is the cartoon right there. Yeah, yeah. Alex the Usurper. Cartoon. Alex the Usurper. Although I quite quite <sighs> it's all being rowdy Visigoths in, uh, in the cartoon. Uh, it really isn't surprising. I mean, this is like, this would like Game of Thrones look bland. Yeah, it, it's insane. Um, Heraclianus, he invades Italy and is defeated and killed, so he'll be back to Honorius. And you'd be pleased to know that we're staying at Honorius from now on. And he's going to bring in Constantius to... Const yeah. Yeah, Constantius, he's going to be his new right-hand man. Yeah, Constantius is the new right-hand man. He's got the Goths out of Italy, he's defeated all of these usurpers. He's in a position of power now. He's, he's, he's capable of doing whatever he wants, in effect. 
But what he wants is a Honorius's sister in marriage. Unfortunately, Honorius's sister, Galla Placidia, was in Rome when it was sacked by the Goths and has been captured by the Goths. Oh, bless her. That sounds like yeah. that name's awful. It sounds like an STD. It's, it gets worse for you. Galla Placidia is captured by the Goths, by Alaric. Alaric dies. Alaric's successor, Atheof, marries Galla Placidia. They have a son called Theodosius in Gaul. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. At least Zach's like, oh, I'm so lucky. At least they didn't name him Constantine. <laughs> Then you'd be really buggered. We've got another Theodosius. Yeah, the other one died ages ago, so it's fine. Ah, but he dies while still a baby. Stacks like that. In the meantime, Constantius forces the Goths out of Gaul and into Hispania. They're in Hispania. Theodosius. The child dies and he's buried in a silver casket outside Barcelona. <sighs> Constantius is now dominant in the Western half. But in the meantime, the Franks and other barbarian tribes, such as the Burgundians, are slowly in- imposing their will or the- f- further and further into Gaul across the Rhine. Also, in Armorica, modern Brittany region, there's a rebellion, not, not a usurper. They're not trying to become emperor. They're just saying we're not accepting Roman rule anymore. And there's a rebellion known as a Bacodic rebellion. Eventually, Constantius manages to convince the Goths to attack the barbarians that are in Spain. Do you remember that in 406, I said that there were Saling Vandals, Allens and Asding Vandals crossed over the Rhine into Gaul. They ended up in Spain and have set up little territories on their own. The Goths in Spain attack the Saling Vandals and the Alans, defeat them so heavily that the remnants join the Asding Vandals. So, in effect, the Goths are reconquering Spain for the Romans in return for the food that they still desperately need because. They're all starving. But to ensure that they don't rebel again, Constantius agrees that they should be allowed to settle within the empire, within Gaul, southwestern Gaul, the region known as Aquitaine. 
In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Now I believe. And after they've destroyed two of the three barbarian tribes in Spain, they are allowed to settle for 18, 419 in Gaul. And the Gothic wanderings are finally over. That's where they stay now for quite a while until after the defeat, the end of the Roman Empire. Praise the Lord. Constantius, <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> One of the biggest problems you've got in studying this period is if you read any general history book, yeah. you get a map of the Western Empire or the whole empire, and then you've got arrows showing where the barbarians went. <laughs> and like day, why don't they just use other? spaghetti? Yeah. <laughs> no? Yeah, it is just like a drunk spider with a pen strapped to its backside, wandering around the map, a map of Western Europe, you know. <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't really portray what happened in that period. Because for most of these tribes, it wasn't going and conquer, it was going and it's be accepted as Roman, in effect, while keeping their own identity a little bit. But in the process of doing all of that, surely do they just turn the whole thing into a colossal shit show anyway? Um, and therefore, because all of this anarchy seems to be different people kind of jockeying for position yeah. and different groups saying, I want to be Roman, I want to be part of this, or I want to have my own little you know, place where I can be me. And in the process, this whole thing of being, I'm not really getting the benefit of being Roman anymore because you've got, there's no like centralised authority. There's no, like Alex said at the start, you know, we're used to that whole kind of gladiator style Rome height of imperial power. And at this point, it's like that meme where you've got the really hench dog and then you've got the one that's sort of flat and dumpy. And Alex is looking at me like, what the hell are you on about? Gotcha. <laughs> Surely you've seen this meme. Don't make me cut this out in the edit. <laughs> it's, it's insanity, isn't it? It just... So he's taken care of the Franks, the yeah. Goths. It pushes the Franks yeah, pushes the, the Franks back out. Yeah, the drunken spider. got to upset spider. that the Burgundians are in. <laughs> he settled the Goths in. He's he sorted his most of Spain. It's quite, he's done a good job. He's got most of the empire back under control. Does he yeah, get too got... big for his boots then? Because he's married, obviously, Honorarius' on sister. Honorius' um, sister. Galapagia. Yeah, they get married in 417. Yeah, so... In the same year, then... they have a kid. Yeah, so he's cemented his position. He's done really yes. well. Uh, do we know anything about, did this change him? Is there a little hint of him becoming quite smug? Smug, no. The few sources we have say that before this, he was generous, witty, clever, careful, determined to re-establish the Roman Empire in the West at its fullest extent. Once he's married Gala Placidia, which is not an STD. I know, I really apologise to that. 
Yeah. Once he's married, we'll call her Placidia, it's easier. Yeah. Once he's married Placidia... Oh, she was lovely. Oh, if there's one thing she wasn't, it was lovely. He married <laughs> Placidia and immediately started becoming greedy. Now, this is what the sources say. I don't think it's him becoming greedy. I think it's her saying to him, you need more money. You need to get their money. You need to get their money. Once he dies, the Western court is bombarded by petitions from people who've lost money to Constantius and Placidia. But I, I still think it's almost certainly under her. Um, you've got to remember, this is a woman who married Athiel for Barbarian, had a kid with him. She then marries Constantius, apparently didn't want to. She couldn't stand him, but they had two kids. So there was some interaction between them. At least twice. But previous to this, Placidia had been raised by Stilicho and his wife, Serena. And when Stilicho was executed, Serena, his wife, was living in, in Rome. When the Goths attacked, the Romans decided that there was, a, there was a worry that Serena would ally with the Goths and allow them entry. So the Senate decided that realistically they'd like to kill her. But they asked Placidia, should, should we kill your, in effect, stepmother that's been looking after you? you say, yeah, go on, Garota. This, this isn't a shrinking vial that we're talking about. This isn't some <laughs> poor little woman carried around the, the, the empire by these naughty ghosts. This, this was a woman. She knows how to survive. She, she? She's a survivor and then some. Uh, eventually, her, her and Constantius' son, Valentinian, Oh, please let me be getting the name right. I'm so tired. Her and her, <laughs> she becomes the regent for her son. Yeah. But that's later. That's later. Uh, so at the present. We're in 417 is the present for us at the yeah, moment. Yeah, at the present. Uh, she's just married Constantius. Constantius has started pushing back in the north of Gaul against the Franks. He's retaken America. He's retaken most of Spain. He's in the ascendant. He's the big man to be friends with. Nobody's going to convince Honorius that this man is not worthy of the position, unlike the earlier ones. So he's in the ascendant. And between 417 and 420, he re-establishes control. The Goths know their place. They're not going to rebel. They are happy settling down rearranging things in the southwest of Gaul so that they can live as farmers and as lords over the farmers, if that makes sense. But this is, so he's basically doing what should have been done at the very beginning, which was be nicer to the Goths and then they won't kick off. <sighs> it's difficult because if you're seen by the Senate and the people of Rome as giving into barbarians, you've lost all your authority. Hmm. The only reason why he has got the political power to do it and settle the Goths sorted into Gaul is one is married. The Eastern Emperor's sister is now part of the imperial family. And two, he's used the Goths to defeat other barbarians. No Roman soldiers have died in the retaking of Spain. And this is something that's always been lauded. This is something that's always been applauded by the important people in Rome. 
and at the present in 417 due to the lack of money due to the lack of recruits for the roman army these people are becoming important again it's no longer an emperor sat on his throne telling everybody what they are definitely going to do he's having to work well honorius and constantius are having to work in collaboration to a certain degree with the senate in rome otherwise they don't get the troops how long does this last how long is constantius on the throne before somebody else sweeps in because you mentioned that he dies and there are all these petitions to yeah the roman court so how long are we talking before it all goes to hell again well in 417 everything's perfect it goes all on well until 420 he's then made emperor he's not happy about being made emperor because all of a sudden he's got to deal with all the court etiquette and all the stuff that's going on in uh, Ravenna and Rome, whereas realistically he wanted to be out in the field with his armies doing his own thing. But he develops pleurisy. Constantius isn't one that's overthrown by a rebellion or a, a palace coup. He dies of natural causes. And this that's is why he's... Isn't it? But he's not oft. He's not oft. He dies of pleurisy. Yeah. For anybody out there who doesn't know what pleurisy is, it's a membrane. There's two membranes between your lungs and the chest walls. And in theory, they are all they're both very smooth. And when you breathe in and out, they allow your lungs to expand and contract without any discomfort. But if you get pleurisy, they start rubbing in each other. And the average life expectancy say at the time for pleurisy was about six months. And he died seven months after being crowned emperor of pleurisy. So, do we think that Rome might have fared better if he'd had longer? It's it's always hard to say. It's it's if, isn't it? If mm. this happened, would something have changed? Yeah, but if that happened, something else would have changed as well. And you have to go down a, a rabbit hole, branching out in thousands of different routes. If he would have survived, <laughs> the problem would be that when he was made emperor by Honorius, the Eastern Empire refused to accept his nomination. So according to the sources, again, he was planning a campaign against the Eastern Empire. The chances are his campaign against the Eastern Empire would have been limited to the retaking of Illyricum and the source of all the troops that he needed. Manpower at this point in the Roman Empire, especially in the West, was a problem, not because there weren't enough people, but because there were a, a large number of individuals in the Roman Senate who, because of everything that had happened in the previous two or three centuries, now control vast amounts of land. And we are talking vast. <coughs> uh, but also they had control of the vast amounts of manpower needed to run that land. And they refused to allow any of that manpower to be taken into the army to defend the frontiers. There's dumbness in the extreme, surely, because if you're not going to allow some of that manpower to be used to defend the empire, then that land is open to attack by yeah. people. Oh, also, they're exempt from taxation. This is starting and to sound a little bit feudal, isn't it? It's starting to sound a little bit feudal, but it's also a little bit modern, if you think about it, because during World War One and World War Two. There were estate managers in England who refused to release workers, if at all possible, for the front. 
And even today, the richest people pay the least tax because they can afford to buy the what advisors, financial advisors that tell them how they can offset things against other things and reduce their tax bill. And it's just the same in late Rome. Sorry to bring it modern. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to bring it back into a plane that we understand. So, yeah. Constantius, how do we kind of situate him within the wider history of Rome? Is this kind of the the calm before yet another storm? Is this just the point at which everybody kind of collapses into, okay, let's all take a breather and then, oh, Constantius is dead and they pick up again. Where does it kind of sit in the longer trend? Well, <coughs> in order to answer both of your questions, if it had survived and reconquered Illyricum, as it was planning to do, it is quite possible that the entire history of the Western Roman Empire would have been different, that it didn't survive. And what happened instead is that the remnant of the barbarians in Spain were ruled by a man named Gunderic. And when he died, they were ruled by a man named Geyseric. Before Geyseric came to the throne, Honorius died of dropsy, edema. And there was then another usurpation of the Western throne, another civil war with the East. Probably the greatest drain on Western Roman manpower in this period was civil wars with the East. So there was another civil war. And finally, Valentinian III, who was the son of Constantius and Placidia, was placed on the Western throne under the guardianship of Placidia, who was not a shrinking violet. Um, and there were three generals placed in control there. Felix, Aetius and Bonifatius. There was a civil war in Rome. It all went to pot again before finally Aetius gained control. During that period, Kaiseric in Spain had said, enough's enough, we're getting out of here. He crossed to Africa, captured the Af North African provinces around Tunis, Tunisia, that region. That was where the city of Rome got its grain from, and most of its money, and most of the landed aristocracies' uh, resources were there. That's what ruined Rome. As soon as they couldn't afford to pay for troops, and as soon as they had to rely on somebody else for the feeding of Rome, they, they were stuffed, they were done. Aetius, who I've also written a book upon, uh, he managed to keep it going from 433 to 455, I believe it was. And it's him that faced Attila the Hun and defeated him eventually. But Geyseric, the vandal who conquered Africa, he's the one that did the most damage. It's, it's easy for me to say that, yes, he did the most damage, but to put it into context, in 420, 421, the death of Constantius, you had Honorius, who then died, and there was a usurper, and then there was the youth Valentinian, and there was a civil war, and then the Scythius became ruler, and he ruled till 454, 455, 
And then it really went bad. In North Africa, from 429 to 477, Kaiser was the ruler. He ruled for nigh on 50 years in Africa as the court in Ravenna and Rome just collapsed around its own ears. Have a cheer, Joe. <laughs> this has been brilliant. Oh, I can see why they don't teach this in schools. You'd just lose the will to live, wouldn't you? Yeah, I've I've written, did I say five books on it or seven? I can't in remember. A particular century and thing, yeah. You said yeah, I've, I've written quite a few. Uh, Stilico, Constantius, then Aetius, then a book on the patricians and emperors, it's called, that covers everything until the last Roman emperor is deposed. That's four books. And then I've written a book on Attila and a book on Geyseric. So it's six books. I'm sick of the fifth century, Roman. <laughs> you have done remarkably well. Ian, thank you so much for coming on to join us and try and uh, educate Zach and I on something about which we know absolutely nothing. I just think, I think Chlamydia Lady needs a <laughs> Netflix series of her own. She Chlamydia. really does. She has got a couple of books about her. Yeah. But the problem you've got is that it's written by men about men and Placidia is kind of a yeah. female. You'll know about this from dealing with Napoleonic Wars and earlier and even World War II. It's all about the men and the women are secondary. So mm. she's secondary. So a lot of it's supposition. Ian, tell us what's the book called? Uh, we put it in our bookshop so people can get hold of it. So it's Constantius III. Constantius III, Rome's Lost Hope. There we go. If you would like to sit down and digest this at a more manageable pace uh, and find out more about events that clearly were going to lead to the fall of an empire because you just can't carry on like this, then do give it a go. Ian, thank you so much. Not a problem. And can I just apologise if any of the names or dates are slightly wrong in that talk? My brain has turned to mush. <laughs> I think <laughs> Zach and I can understand. I mean, we've had an hour of it and we're slightly shell-shocked. Uh, you've had five books worth, so well done. Yeah, thanks a lot. When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support, and here's to your next great book. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.